Good morning, Valley Bible Church, and Merry Christmas. I wanted to show you what uh, was parked in my driveway on Christmas. Alexis. Where's the bow? There's the bow on it. It's a little green one. Yeah. It was parked there. Alexis was parked there. And then the owner drove it away later. So, No keys. Didn't even get a ride in it. It just was parked there but for a little while. So we've got some pretty funny people at Valley Bible Church. Ha, ha, ha. That was uh, courtesy of the Bergerons and the Stoffers. So it's a Lexus parked in my... Anyway, what fun. Finally had the experience. Well, good morning to you, and uh, we are glad to have you here this morning. We are going to um, begin this morning with reading Psalm 150. It is the last psalm in the Psalter, and so it ends uh, that book of worship for us, Psalm 150. Uh, we're kind of in an in-between time here in the book of John between Christmas and New Year. So I'd like you to please stand with me as we read Psalm 150, the last psalm written in the Psalter, and a good one at this. It's all about praise. Please give attention to the reading of his word as we read together Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please, would you be seated? Father, we're grateful for the joy of praise and the psalms that give to us direction in how we should orient our worship toward you um, and our lives. Uh, You've given us breath, and we should praise you for that. We pray, Lord, as we think back on the year that is quickly closing and the year that is coming in, that we would be people of praise, people of joy, people who look forward to your return. So encourage us this morning by your word, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, didn't get Alexis uh, for Christmas, but um, I got plenty, believe me, and you probably got plenty too. Most of us in these days in which we live, in this country in which we live, we, we are people of abundance. Um, I'm not a, a great um, social media type of person. I'm not a Facebook guy. I got Facebook, but I don't. I just kind of read what everybody else writes usually. And um, I've I've got a Twitter account. And I wanted to um, read to you. I do not know who this young man is, but I saw this tweet this morning, and I think it is worth sharing. Um, Somewhere in America, a young man who wrote this. This Christmas was my first as a Christian, and I was at home by myself, And there was no tree and no presents, but I cooked a little roast, and I sat in the quiet, and it was the most beautiful Christmas I've ever known, because for the first time, it actually meant something. I don't know if you've ever had a Christmas like that, 
Um, Tara and I were talking the other day about our most memorable Christmas, and it always comes back to the same one. I think we were about our second year in seminary. We had one son, Benjamin, and we had no money, <laughs> literally no money, did not have presents for each other. And it was at first it was kind of sad, you know, not being able to shop. But we look back on that as the best ever, best Christmas we ever had because we had nothing, but we had everything in Christ. And so um, it's, that's something for us to remember in this land of plenty in which we live, that um, Christmas is more than the presents that we receive and the gifts that are given, but it's about um, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're in this kind of odd time. Isn't this an odd it always seems weird to me. Uh, the days between Christmas and New Year's, it's like a 13th month, isn't it? Um, Decembuary or something like that. Uh, uh, but it's, it's almost, it's not, you know, Christmas is over, but it's still Christmas season. It's even, it seems like you missed the boat on watching the Christmas movies. And you can, but it's not really quite the same. And there are no presents under the tree anymore. And it's not really New Year's yet, so it's not, you can't sign the checks with uh, 2021. Um, it's just different time, I, and I think it's it's helpful for me. It's always been a time to to think about what's coming up. I mean, um, because you have a few days where maybe you get a little bit of time off, and to think about 2020 and to look ahead. And it's time for us to be looking ahead as people of God. Uh, we should be looking ahead. Um, our Advent series, Christmas Comes to Bethany, ended last week with the greatest miracle that Jesus performed. He raised Lazarus from the dead, this man who had been dead at least four days. Uh, the most fantastic miracle that he did. And that story transitions into the final week of the life of Christ. You think we've been in, in John a long time. Um, we've gone through... Um, 11 chapters, and we have 12 through 21 left. That's how much space is given to the, the passion of Christ. His last week, his suffering, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Uh, more time is given to this portion of his life than anything else in the book of, of, of John. And so we're in a transition toward that. In fact, the last verse that we looked at last week said this. It said, but some of them, some of the, the Jews who, who saw uh, Lazarus raised from the dead, some people believed in Christ, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had, Jesus had done. In a sense, they went and tattled on him. They weren't really happy. And I don't know how you could see someone raised from the dead and somehow see that as a bad thing, but some of them did. And there was such hatred for Jesus, in spite of all the good that he did and all the good that he said, that they wanted him dead. And what we're going to see is that the Pharisees are going to plot not only to kill Jesus, but to kill Lazarus too. Um, why? I mean, do away with the evidence? It's just a remarkable thing. So we're entering this, we have this ominous note, and um, we're ending a year that was rough around the edges in many ways. Um, none of us could have thought of what was going to happen. How many of you kind of predicted 2020? Nobody? 
Nobody, nobody did. We had no idea what was in store, nor do we have any idea what's in store for 2021. There are no guarantees. Uh, we can't guarantee that it's going to get better. It might get a lot worse. It might get better. I don't know. Um, but we are ending a year and beginning a new one, and we don't know what's coming, but we should be looking forward, not looking back and lamenting, holding on to the past, but looking forward because that's the nature of, of us, isn't it? It's the nature of faith. It's the nature of the Christian faith. It's the nature of our Christian faith to look ahead and to always understand and know that the best is yet to come. Even if 2021 is worse than 2020, the best is yet to come still, isn't it? Always. That is the nature of the Christian faith because Christ will come back at the consummation of all things and all those wrongs will be righted. Justice will finally be served. All the things that frustrate us will be resolved and fixed for our Savior will come and do that. So we, of all people, as we look at the themes of Advent, those four themes, we, of all people, should live by faith. We, of all people, should live with hope. We, of all people, should live in love. And we, of all people, should live with joy. It's built into who we are as as Christians. It's built into the book. It's built into the gospel. It's built into the big story of what God is accomplishing in this world. And he's given it all to us, all the promises, and we are to continually live these out in the, the year to come. So, because we're in December or whatever it is you want to call it, um, uh, it's a good opportunity for us to, to kind of pause, to look forward at the same time, and to talk about what are we all about as a church? What is Valley Bible Church all about? And to talk about our mission statement. Um, many of you are new to Valley Bible Church, and uh, from time to time we pull up our mission statement, and it's supposed to be what drives us, and it is. And it's important for us as leaders to, to call it to four and to think about it and to evaluate how we're doing. But it's also important for us to bring it before you as a congregation from time to time and say, hey, remember what we're about. Remember what this is, what we're doing here Remember what the goal is. Remember what it is we're trying to achieve. And so here is the Valley Bible Church mission statement. As we proclaim biblical truth, we cultivate relationships that are intimate with Christ, active in the church, and loving the community. Now, in in reality, all churches have the same mission, and we'll get to that. But every church expresses it in a different way because... Every church has its own personality. It does. Uh, the leaders are different. The, the, when you look in the room, the, the people that are here, the various ages, the giftedness, the talents, the experiences, all that works together in aggregate to make us different than the church down the street and the church down that street. We are unique. We have our own personality. Each and every one of us do. And as people, as God gathers people together in a congregation, we are a unique congregation that has its own personality, and so our mission statement has its own personality as well. But this is our mission. Um, what is a mission? Think about that for a minute. What is a mission? We always think of missions, sending people overseas with the gospel. That, that's a mission, but um, um, 
a lot of, lot of people have a mission. There's a military mission, you know, take that bridge, and that's your, your immediate mission. Uh, when I went uh, to Iraq with the Marines in 2003, um, I was with an engineering battalion, and our mission was to, to build a road from uh, northern uh, uh, Kuwait into the interior of Iraq and to run, literally we did this, run a hose reel for fuel all along that road to fuel the forward progress of the uh, 1st Marine Division. And that was our mission. That was our bit. That was our portion. And 1st Marine Division had another portion, and the missile batteries by us had another uh, mission. And the carriers in the, Medit- in the, in the Gulf, uh, they had a different mission. And the Air Force fighters coming in from, from uh, Europe, had everybody had a different mission, but all with the ultimate mission of what? Winning a war, prosecuting a war and winning it. Um, Businesses have mission statements. Um, um, I was looking at a few. I like IKEA. It says, offer a wide range of well-designed functional home furnishings. Pretty succinct. Should, they should add that last at the end. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. A wide range of well-designed functional home furnishings. That's, that's their mission. And if they keep that in mind, that's, they're going to be okay. If they lose that, then they lose their way. What about sports? What is the mission of the Seahawks? Win football games, right? Pretty simple. Uh, the, the real mission is win the Super Bowl. And how do you do that? You score more points than the other team before the clock runs out. It's pretty simple, right? And you want to win the Super Bowl before they have, you have to win your conference and the division and individual games. And then there are all the things that go along with that. Of course, you have to assemble the proper team. You have to uh, develop the fundamental skills. You have to uh, take part in conditioning. You have to practice, and then you have to execute, and then you have to score more point, points every week before the other team. Pretty simple. <clears throat> we, we understand that better sometimes than we do understand the mission of the church because it seems obvious you want to win a game. Well, <clears throat> we have a mission too, and that's what our mission is. Every Church has the same mission in a sense. But there is a higher level. I want to just kind of get behind the scenes of uh, our mission statement and, and flesh it out from behind, if you will. And let's start here. The Westminster Catechism says this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is the purpose of your life. This purpose of the universe, the glory of God, this purpose of everything that we do, the purpose of your drawing breath and everything that you do today and tomorrow and last week and last year and five years from now. But to enjoy God in the midst of it, that doesn't mean to just enjoy him in eternity when you're there, but you should be enjoying him now. The, the Christian life should not be a glum, oh, we're all suffering servants and... Uh, happens sometimes, but we are to suffer well. We are to suffer with joy. We are to be people who are looking forward to the glory of God because all of that suffering and all that we do ultimately is for that purpose. We get this from 1 Corinthians 10:31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory. Whether you're it's drink, drinking something or eating food or whatever it is you do, do it for his glory, that he would be known, that he would be seen, that his character, his love, his, his divine attributes, his purpose 
all of that would be seen in what you eat, what you drink, and everything that you do, the glory of God, that he is on display, that it is all about him and it's not about us. So Valley Bible Church is not about the glory of the pastoral staff. It's not about the glory of our programs. It's not about the glory of our music team or any other thing that we do. It is about the glory of God. If we lose that, we've lost our way. Everything is for this purpose, the glory of God. Two other passages that Paul, uh, in a sense, says much the same thing. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You see, there's no sacred slash secular divide here. Whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever your deeds are, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean in his name, in his power, in his strength, in his purpose? It's much the same as saying to his glory. But remember, we were in the book of Exodus. The Lord is his name and all is to be done in the name of the Lord, in the name of Yahweh. And Jesus is the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that we do is for to, to make him known, to make his name known. Because his name means everything about him. His purpose, his love, his design, where he came from, why he came into this earth. It is all about him. It is not about us. It is all about him. And then 1 Corinthians 9.23, do all things for the sake of the gospel. Everything that we do should be motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for us. And he rose again, and it is our responsibility to share that and to live it out. Because the gospel is not just the gospel by which we are saved. It is all of the life of Christ. It is all of his teachings. And so we do all for the sake of the gospel to make him known. And so everything that we do should be for the sake of helping people to understand more and more of Jesus Christ, to believe in him, to grow in him to the glory of God, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the sake of the gospel. That's what it's all about. That is what we are about as Valley Bible Church. How then do we glorify God? How do we do that? We glorify God by keeping his commandments. Throughout the scriptures, he has revealed himself, and he said, this is the way I want you to live. And if you live this way, that's not, that's not good. But I want you to... There are lots of thou shalt do these, and thou shalt live this way, and thou shalt not live this way, and thou shalt not do this. The Bible is full of those things. And so when we are following and obeying him, we are glorifying him, just like any, any parent who has a child that is obedient. It is a blessing to the parent, and it's a testament to the parent, isn't it? That the parent has done well with that child. And that that child loves the mom or the dad. And so what are the commandments we are to keep? Well, there, there's the great commandment, the greatest commandment. Remember the man who came to Jesus and said, well, what's the, f- the greatest commandment? And Jesus said the foremost is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God above all else and love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? And he tells the story of the good Samaritan. Your neighbor is not just the person who lives across the street or next to you or across the alley. 
but it's the person you come in contact with at uh, Rite Aid or Albertsons or the mall. It's the person that you meet on the, on the jogging path in the gym, the person that is next to you that you have some kind of interaction with, anyone, because there are people around us who need Christ and God has placed us to love them. We are to love him above all else, and we are to love our neighbors, and we are to love one another. In fact, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. A demonstration of our love to Jesus is that we do obey him, and that is what glorifies him. He said in 1334, we'll get to John 1334 and 35 in due time, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. And how did he love us? He lived for us. He sacrificed for us. He died for us. He rose again for us. That you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if your car is parked in the parking lot on Sunday mornings. No. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we don't love each other, if we don't love one another at Valley Bible Church, we're missing it. That means we sacrifice for one another. That means we take care of one another. That means we confront one another when in sin, right? If we love someone, we will speak truth to them. If we love someone, we will sacrifice for them. If we love someone and they have needs, we will meet that need. But that's what love is. It's action. It's not just, oh, I love you guys so much. Thank you for sending, parking a car in my driveway on Christmas morning that I didn't get to keep. I mean, if they really loved me, I would have gotten the keys, right? (laughs) You know what I mean. We are to love one another, and this is the mark of discipleship. The mark of discipleship is not that we say, I attend Valley Bible Church, or I go to Valley Bible Church. You can go to school, right? You can go to the mall. You can attend a school. But this is different. Loving one another means we are followers. The the word disciple, the the Greek word mathetes, means a follower, a a student, a one who is following after um, uh, the teacher. He was the rabbi, and he had his pupils, and, and the, the pupil is to become like the teacher, and that's our goal as disciples, is to, is to bring people to a place where they, they look like Jesus, they talk like Jesus, they sound like Jesus, they act like Jesus, because they're following him in all things. But this brings us to the Great Commission, doesn't it? The Great Commission is simply make disciples. Um, Matthew 28:19, very familiar, and we, we won't go through a full exposition, but let me pull out a few things. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Looking forward to the end of the age. But until that time... The main command of this passage is not go. That's been misinterpreted throughout church history. The main command is not go. The main command is make disciples. 
make disciples, going, baptizing, and teaching. Those are the three sub-points of making disciples. Make disciples, going. Of course we have to go. We have to go to the nations if we're going to win them to Christ. That's what missions have done throughout all of church history. People have gone because they have to go to the nations. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, we have to go there first. But the main command is not go. It's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's just assumed, of course, that if you're going to make disciples, you have to go where people are. But the main command is to make disciples. Make disciples. Like Howard Hendricks said many years ago of this passage, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is make disciples. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. Make disciples. What does a disciple look like? Obviously, we, we give them the gospel. Once they believe, then they're baptized. And then once they're baptized, then we, we teach them all that Jesus commanded. He didn't just command to us to love. There are many commands in the scriptures. And he teached, taught us we're to, to pass on those commands so that we will observe. Observe is another word of saying obey, isn't it? That we bring glory to God by obeying the commands that Jesus has given to those who went before us and are passed down from generation to generation to generation, even to the end of the age. He's coming back and we look forward. So this is the, the, this is the mission of all churches. And simplified, you could say it this way. What is the church supposed to do? Glorify God by making disciples until Jesus comes back. That's it. Glorify God by making disciples until Jesus comes back. That's what we're about. If we forget that, if it's meeting a budget, if it's building a building, if it's uh, juggling programs or whatever it may be, we're losing our way. We always need to come back to what it is we're all about, making disciples. So back to our uh, mission statement. As we proclaim biblical truth, we cultivate relationships that are intimate with Christ, active in the church, and loving the community. We proclaim biblical truth. If there was ever a time that this world needed truth, isn't it now? I mean, what's the key word the, the last couple of years has been the word fake, right? And this whole idea of fact-checking has come up, and, and people don't know. What is real anymore, do they? They don't know what is true or what the, the facts are. Um, it is so really very difficult. And so we can keep it very, very simple by focusing on real truth so that people understand what the truth, eternal truths are of God's word. That will keep us on our way. And we cultivate relationships. This is we're to know one another and, and to to, to love one another. You can't love people if you don't know them, right? We have to know each other. We need to get to know people. We can't obviously get to know everybody in the church, but that's what life groups are for. And ministering together, that's what those things are for. And we'll come to that in a moment. But it's all about relationships because God existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before anything was created, there was relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed eternally outside of time. 
And they had this eternal relationship so that every other relationship that was ever created in this earth is patterned after relationship. Where does relationship come from? God, the Godhead, the Trinity. There is no relationship. Every relationship is an echo, a faint echo of God himself. And so we are to cultivate those relationships and bring people to an intimacy with Christ. That means a a deep, abiding, close fellowship, knowing of Christ. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and every woman, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature, complete in Christ. So that at the end... We've made all these disciples and you are all mature and close to Jesus Christ and have been brought to maturity and active in the church. The clear design of every believer is that we worship regularly, we fellowship with other believers, and then we serve in some way. That's, that's the way it is. That's, that's what church is all about. That's what... Uh, we are supposed to be doing, worshiping on a regular basis every week, fellowshipping with one another as much as we can, and serving God and serving his people in some way, because every one of you are gifted, and we want to have every person involved in ministry in some sense. Now I want to talk about, with that, some of the distinctives of Valley Bible Church. We have some things that, because of our personality and because of our leadership and things we prayed about and studied that that are they're distinctive of Valley Bible Church. And uh, again, every church has its own personality, but these are the distinctives of our church. And some of you maybe have not heard this before because you may be new to Valley Bible Church. And it's important for you to understand this is the culture here. This, these are the things that are important to us. And the first is. We proclaim biblical truth. We're a Bible church. We're all about Bible exposition, teaching through the Bible, book by book, passage by passage. And um, uh, we're a teaching church. I don't have anything to say apart from this. I'm not that creative. (laughs) I know that... uh, uh, what, what, I, what boggles the mind is we have people who will visit Valley Bible Church from time to time or come here that are new and say, um, churches aren't, aren't teaching the Bible out there. And I don't understand that. Well, what are they doing? I don't know. I, it just it boggles me. I just can't understand. I wouldn't have anything to say. Again, I'm not that creative to come up with seven keys to a wonderful 2021. I, I, that would be so hard. I'm just going to stick with this. And the preaching team will too. That's what we're going to continue to do. We're going to teach God's word passage by passage, book by book. And once in a while we may, and even this is in a sense a topical sermon, but we will always give exposition of texts within it. So we are a Bible church and that is one of our distinctives and and uh, the word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We really believe that the, this, this is powerful. And God's powerful and good spirit uses this in our lives. And that I am powerless to change you. But as we feed you God's word, God will change you. And that's the way it works. There's no other way. That's how God works. 
Another distinctive is that we consider Valley Bible Church to be a family. A family. And we want to be a a family of families and of small groups. The church is a family. Think about in the book of John so far, how many times has Jesus called attention to the fact that he is from his father who sent him? That relationship between father and son, he, he keeps drawing it out and, and, and highlighting it. That is part of his mission to demonstrate that there is a father in heaven. And he is the son. In fact, the very purpose of the book is that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And at the beginning of the, of the, of the book of John, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. As we believe in him, we become children. And then as children, therefore, we're brothers and sisters. There are metaphors in the, in the, the scripture of like the, the, the body of Christ, the building of Christ, the, the bride of Christ. But the number one metaphor, more than a metaphor, is the church's family. Because God is our father, we are his children, we are brothers and sisters. And we are to be a family. Not just an organization, not just an institution, but we're to be a family where people know one another and care for one another and take care of one another in the way we're supposed to love. Next, another distinction is we seek to be a multi-generational church. That is a church that's made up of every generation, from babies to people that are about ready to check out this life. Because that's what our community looks like. That's what the world looks like. Um, we are to be a multi-generational church. This, was my, this is what I wrote my doctoral dissertation on. And, and uh, we do not want to lose this because this is, what the, this is how the church is described. This is how the people of God are always described. People of every age group. And in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, you see the elder fathers. They take care of the church, the elders. And you see the elder mothers, the older women in Titus 2. You know what your responsibility is, elder, elder mothers, elder women? To teach the young women. That is your number one responsibility. To teach younger women to love their husbands and their children and teach them how to walk with God and to walk wisely because they need someone who has gone before them who has done that. And ladies who are older, you have a responsibility. Older men, you have a responsibility to younger men. to Pull them along in the faith and to help them to grow. But this, the pastoral epistles also describe that we have young men and young women who are, who are moms and dads and the children in the church. And again, we should look like our community because it's made up of people of all age groups. So when it comes to our elder saints, those of you who have gray hair, I want you to know we value elder saints. The Bible does, because that's where wisdom comes from. Uh, the gray hair, if your hair is gray or white or colored over, and we can't really tell. We know how old you are. But. but we want our elder saints to be involved in ministry. We don't want this to be a place where you retire. And that's been a heartache to me in 30 plus years of ministry where older people say to me, well, you know, we, when I was younger, we did a lot of things and we, it's time for me to rest. Press on, brother and sister. 
He's not back yet. Keep working. Bring glory to him. Don't give up. Don't stop now. This is where you have the most to give. Do you realize that? Where the most you have the depth of wisdom in walking with God and failing in success and making mistakes with children and having success with children. Now is the time to pass that on, the successes that is. But the wisdom you gained by making mistakes, now is the time to put the pedal to the metal and not retire. And we want our elder saints to do that. We want them to pass on that wisdom to the next generation. Because we value families. We value older saints. Um, older saints, that means um, uh, we, we want you to be investing because we don't want a five-year plan, you know, with our budget and our building. That's business. We want a 500-year plan. We want to look over the horizon. We want to be busy when Christ comes back. And we're not looking to get this wrapped up in five years or ten years. We won't wrap it up. But in 30 years, who will this church belong to? Who's going to have the keys to the Lexus? Because we want it to be a well-tuned machine, don't we? It's the babies. The babies in here. And it is our responsibility to, to hand that baton on now before it is too late. It means we should never be a church of 60-year-olds or something like that, or a church of 20-somethings or a church of 30-somethings. And some, some Christians, leaders, plant churches, and that's their target. We're going to make this a church of 20-somethings. I, I don't see that as biblical. The target of, in building a church is what? People. Period. People. I mean, it might be fine if you are on a college campus and all you have to work with are 20-somethings, or it might be fine if you live in Sun City, Arizona, and only people who live there are in their 60s and 70s and 80s. Fine. But in our community, we have people of all age groups, and, and so our target group is people. That's it. It's pretty simple. So older saints, do all that you can. Invite young people to your life group. You might think, well, they wouldn't want to be hanging out with a bunch of older people. They need to. And young people be, be willing to do that, to get into a group that has some, some, some wisdom and some, 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 some strength in it from people who have lived long for the Lord. Mix it up. If you're older, volunteer for nursery or children's ministry. And I know it takes a lot of energy, but there is some way that you can be involved in the lives of younger people. And another thing I'd say to you is let them choose the music for up here. Because you had your chance. You had your time, right? Where you grew up, and I know it's comfortable, and, and it's nice to think about the Days gone by, but let them choose the music because they're going to be the next generation. Younger saints, you need to find a place to serve. I know you're raising kids. You still need to find a place to serve because you want to show your children as you're, as you're raising them in the church that there are sacrifices for the family, the body of Christ, for the glory of God. It's hard. It's difficult. It takes more time. I understand 
but it's worth it. And it's God's design. So our last distinctive that I want to just point out to you is that life groups are our focus. They are our premier program, if you would like it. We don't like to talk about programs. And I know uh, people come in from other churches and, and, and they're new to Valley Bible Church and they might, well, we should do this because at my last church we did such and such. And we might say, no, we're not going to do that because this is our focus. Our focus is life groups. It's not men's ministry. It's not women's ministry. It's not this program or that program. Those are important. But our number one focus is life groups because that is the place where you can fellowship and and go deeper in God's word and get to know people more than you can get to know them on Sunday morning. You can't get to know two, three, four, five, six hundred people on Sunday morning. You just it doesn't happen that way. Maybe the old days when you were in a church of 75 people and you sat in a, a you know a chapel that big, great days when you knew everybody. It can't happen. But you can know some people deeply. You can't know everyone well, but you can know a group of 12 or more very, very well. So life groups are our most important ministry. After worship on Sunday morning, life groups, we say, should be your first involvement in the ministry of Valley Bible Church. Let me say that again. After your worship on Sunday morning, because worship is job one, After that, life group should be your first involvement in the ministry of Valley Bible Church. Oftentimes in leadership discussions and people that might be coming along in the church and have some idea of something that we they think we should do. The first question that always comes up in our discussion is, are they in a life group? Whose life group are they in? Because we consider it very, very important that this person understands what we're about as a church. The glory of God, making disciples, and life groups are the key vehicle of doing that. The last thing on our list in our mission statement is loving the community. This is obviously evangelism, right? We're here to reach the world, not to just build a wall and to enjoy teaching and singing and life groups and we should enjoy those things, but we are to love your, our neighbors. That means we are to be salt and light. Salt means is a preservative. This should be a better, a better town because you live in it, because Christians live here. Spokane should be a better place because of all the Christians who live here. Jeremiah 29.7, Jeremiah is speaking to the 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 exiles in Babylon who were taken away. And he says this, seek the welfare, and this this is the word shalom here, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of that city and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray for your city. For in its welfare, welfare, you will have welfare. If our city progresses and prospers, so do you. If it's a place of peace and tranquility and freedom, then you get to enjoy that. That's, what, that's the whole praying for our leaders, that we will be able to live uh, godly and tranquil lives because we have freedom to worship. So get involved in, in, in politics. Get involved in, 
in the school board. Get involved in the city council. Sit in. Get involved in community events where your light can shine because we have the greatest message of transformation that ever existed, and it is the the light of Christ who changes people's lives. We have to share that, and we need to celebrate it, and we need to to let people know that we are people that are uh, joyful and winsome, and we have hope and love and faith, and we're looking ahead because of what God has done for us. And I'd like us to look ahead with the Lord's Supper right now. Would you take out your elements and and prepare them? Peel back the top with the bread. Get the cup ready. Take a little bit more time this morning. As 2020 comes to a, uh, a close, I'm finishing up my Bible reading, and I've got a... Uh, got a plan that I follow year after year after year. So I always know what's coming this last week and the next few days. Um, I will read Psalm 150 because it's the last psalm. Get to the end of the Psalter. I will also read on the last day of this year, Job 42. This man who suffered, he comes to the end of all the suffering and he puts his hand over his mouth. I didn't know. I had no idea what I was dealing with. I had no idea of your glory. It's all good. And he repents, even though he suffered. But he sees life in perspective, the glory of God. I will also read on that day, Revelation 22. Then he showed me a river of of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was a tree of life bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him, and they will see his face. That means we will be in his presence. No masks. Face to face, that's what it means. And his name will be on their foreheads. I don't know what that's going to look like. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them. And they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. He's coming. We obey. We bring glory to him. We will look forward with faith and hope and love and joy. Because there's something more than what's happening right now. The last night that Jesus was on this earth, he explained the Lord's Supper to his disciples. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. This was part of the Passover meal. And he gave them the bread. And the bread 
was his body. And it was what would look something like this. In its baking, it would be pierced and it would be bruised like his body was. And he broke it. And he said, this is my body after breaking it. This means that he really did come to earth. The incarnation we've talking about, been talking about in the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And you know what? You know where his body is now? It is you. I mean, he physically is in heaven, but we are now his body. We are one, one bread, one body, and we partake of it together as one. And he prayed for the bread, and he probably prayed a traditional Hebrew prayer. Would you pray with me, please? And he may have prayed something like this. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olom omotzi lechem min ha'eretz. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And from the earth came your son, the bread of life. And you said that those who eat of the bread of life will never hunger and will live forever. And we by faith have believed in him, and together we now partake of this bread, remembering what our Savior has done, but looking forward as well. In his name we pray, amen. And he said, take, eat, this is my body.